0: Uh, the truth is, is that this year has been, um, the last year was like a long time ago. When was it, May? Yeah, May, something like you know. So, first I want to just tell the Oilam uh, that I now live in Lakewood, so therefore um, I do intend to give this year until basically the beginning of January. So there's no, they won't, you know, uh, so basically it'll be a continuous uh, share. Same time, same place. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice place. I think the Torah is the best time because during the week everybody's off and running someone else, especially Yeshiva, third Seder, you know? <clears throat> so uh, every Torah Shabbat, 9.30, will be easier as time gets earlier, Especially when you change the clock in two weeks. You know? Therefore... <coughs> <coughs> so the question is, it's been a long gap, thank you. A bit too sweet and roses now? Uh, the question is really where to begin, because it's been such a long time. So I thought it would be appropriate, maybe just to review... Maybe just to review... Oh. Wow! How did you find out about this? Really mm-hmm? I, read, I read newspaper. <laughs> have a seat. You started already? No. Oh. I'm just waiting for you. See, it's all in your mind. Thank you. I have a seat. Freshman's, uh, you know. I'm very fresh. Double up is in La Marca, you know? Yeah, true, true. Uh, so I thought what I would do, uh, since it's been a long time, um, so I had mentioned that I have moved to Lakewood, I no longer live in Brooklyn, so therefore this year will continue till basically the beginning of January, which is about 10 weeks, so my dad, every to Shabbos in this place at 9.30. You know, so those who really want to get it, to Derech Hashem. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> First of all, the uniqueness I had mentioned a while back. Anyway, I really see this as a beginning, because there were so many interruptions, because I didn't live here and so on. But <clears throat> the beauty of what the Ramchal did which is really very important. The, the, the problem is, and this is a real problem, most people don't even know what the problem that there is this problem. Information, when the mind seeks to understand, information has to be presented in a certain way. There are only two questions that you need to ask And this is the totality of all information as regards any piece of information. One, what is it? That's its definition. And two, to to what does it belong? Its class, its category, or its structure. And that's it. If you understand what a thing is, and to what it belongs, you understand what that is. The opposite of that, so the mind therefore does two operations. Uh, One is it analyzes, And when it analyzes, it seeks to break down into what a thing is. And when it synthesizes, it puts it together and it compares it to other things, and so on. Analysis and synthesis, two fundamental operations of the mind. Unfortunately, most people, when they learn, it lies in their mind as a fragment. It's a fragment. Little analysis, not not much structure, and it's a fragment. The problem is how well do you understand something that's a fragment. This is the problem. Most people's understanding of information, whatever it is, it would be Torah, anything, lies in the fact that it's a fragment. And really that's the wrong way to understand it. So what the Ramchal did is he wrote an introduction that is safer. And the introduction is not about hashkafa; It's about methodology of thinking. That's what the Ramchal wrote. What the Ramchal is trying to emphasize Is that if you want to understand something, you cannot understand it, or you should not understand it, in terms of its being a fragment. It needs to be understood in terms of what is it and to what does it belong. And that's the concept of structure. How to structure information. Therefore, the Ramchal has an entire method of learning. It's called the ability to structure. It's an analysis and structure combined to form a comprehensive understanding of any given thing. And that's really his introduction, which I had gone over. It's very interesting to use their method to learn how to learn anything, how to learn any Gemara, any Mishnah, any Halacha, to use that method, you know, uh, in terms, of, and, and it gives you profound understanding. In fact, that method will give you the six fundamental objectives that education has to give you. What are they? One, clarity. You want to understand something clearly. Two, profundity. You not only want to understand something clearly, you want to understand something profoundly, which means at a certain level of depth. Three, comprehensiveness. You not only want to understand something, what it is, and profoundly, you want to understand it comprehensively, which means everything all about it. Four, You wanna be able to retain it. Memory, retain something. Five, efficiency. You wanna be able to learn it in a short amount of time. If you can learn something and know it well in one hour, why spend 50? Because you could be learning something else in those times. That's the concept of efficiency. And number six is applicability. You wanna be able to apply it to the real world. (coughs) Those are the six fundamental objectives of education. Ah, and the way to achieve those objectives is by learning the Derech Ramchal. <coughs> okay, and all of it will be, um, th- and this is a method that can apply to any Chokhmah in the Briah, whether it be physics, chemistry, anything, and Torah especially. Therefore, <coughs> the Ramchal gave an entire Habdomah to thinking method, which is not, which is not Ashkofer, really because he wants to tell you that I'm about to write something unique. I'm going to write Hashkofer, which is about the divine plan of the Bria. What is hashkafa really? It's about the divine plan of creation. It's called the architectural design. It is the architectural plans of creation. That's what hashkafa really is. And the says, I'm going to now introduce this topic in a unique way, which is a framework way, where you can see everything together. Not as a framework, and not as a fragment, but as a framework. I had also mentioned, actually, a long time ago. Uh, somebody once asked me, whatever, or whatever, Ashi, whatever. He said, "Why, uh, you know, why? Why does Rambam have a hadama on thinking, organizing information when he's now going to write a safer on hashkafa?" So, besides what I've said right now, there's another very important reason which I once mentioned here. The Owe of the Mashiach, what is it? What is the Messianic light? That is the question. What does he do? Why? Right? What does he do? Uncover hidden doctrines? Like, what does he do? And why is it so incredible what he does? Uh, well, the Owe of the Mashiach consists of two things, really, in the end. one, it consists of the chomer and the tsura. Information has two ideas in it. chomer, what is the content, what is the information? And the tzura, in what shape, what's the configuration of that information? Is it a fragment? Is it a structure? Do you see the relationship between this information and everything else? There's two dealing with information. What the Mashiach does is very interesting. Yiddishkeit has the chomer, basically. They had the Torah, the which is a revealed Torah, you know, and so on. But Yiddishkeit also has the Nista, Kabbalah. In other words, behind the Torah, behind the Halacha, so to speak, what governs the Halacha? And what that really is, is the Kabbalah. Because every, what is a Halacha really? Anybody know? What is a Halacha really? and it's premious. Anybody know? Path? It's what? Path? A path. Uh Okay, a path to what destination? That's the question. Is it taking the mundane and making it kadosh? True. It's true. (laughs) I'll tell you, you know, you you really all know and you really all don't know. It's t- an interesting concept. What? To tikkun oil. Who? Misaken the bria. Saken, the bria. Okay. So therefore, what would a mitzvah be? Oh, well. If a mitzvah is misaken, or rectifies the creation, what then is it? The answer to that is that a mitzvah is a tikkun device. That's what a device is. A device is a tool, instrument, vehicle that enables you to accomplish something, right? If a mitzvah, right, is a device, it brings about a Tikkun of the Bria, so then it's called a device, that's really what it is. A mitzvah is a Tikkun device. But what does it really do? A mitzvah of Epimius is a device that allows a certain amount of ore into the Bria. More ore, the ore, the, the ore which is whatever that ore is, is the Bria. And a mitzvah is a trigger, it's a switch. It's a mitzvah, it's a switch that allows ore into the Bria. And the or changes reality. In the end, that's really what it's all about. The Jews commanded to do what? <coughs> to do the tikkun. Judaism is a belief system that we are able to change the reality of this universe. And what is the reality? We live in a physical universe Judaism is a doctrine, so to speak, that believes that we can change the nature of existence by doing certain things, engaging in tikkun devices. One of the tikkun devices we know is mitzvahs. There are, however, two more, which I once mentioned. The second tikkun device is called tshuva, repentance. And the third tikkun device is is surin, or suffering. The Jews have three tikkun devices, which means that all three, I'm not going into them, can bring the tikkun. What is the tikkun? The tikkun is what's called, what the is going to say later, it's called ha'ora, light, enlightenment. Or more accurately, to retransform a physical universe into a spiritual. Is this what the That's really what, what? Is this what the said about, what's That idea? That they would say, oh, what? <laughs> the, the, the connection that bring change in the world in mean, the sake through the not just doing some virtual, but actually changing the world through the Ivan the Greeks Greek knowledge doesn't really believe in spirituality. Not really. They're into the physical universe. In many ways that was their conflict with the Jews. You have a whole bunch of things that are address spiritual reality. We don't believe in this stuff. You believe in what? Philosophy, physics, right? <coughs> Astronomy. The, world, the real world is really <coughs> physical. There is no Ruchnius in the world. And that was the major contention of the Greeks, which is what Hanukkah really in the end is all about. What he's saying is that they were afraid that they would take the Ruchnius and change the Who's world. The, the Greeks. The Greeks were afraid that they would what? When they saw what Yiddishkeit was and saw that it was so unique in their dealing with all other nations, they realized that from their point of view, they have an enemy, because this enemy has the possibility of destroying who they were. And who were they? They were people who believed essentially in the physical universe. Of course. Okay. Of course, that's the whole difference. Yeah, yeah. But what you're you're really saying is, is in a certain way of, you're extending what I'm saying. That's really what it is the battle between the Jews and the Greeks was on the nature of reality. The Greeks saw that as a threat. Okay? And therefore, when you see something as a threat, you obviously want to eliminate it. It's a fundamentalist. But the conflict is really, what is the nature of reality? Their response was, we got to kill the Jews, because we don't want them to take away that type of um, our belief system, whatever. But in any case, therefore... Mitzvahs, Tshuva, Yisur, are really tikkun devices. And the tikkun is what? Is to retransform a physical universe into a spiritual. Literally, not figuratively. That's what we do. You see, we retransform this Oilam Hazeh into Oilam Habar. That's ultimately what will happen. So therefore, <coughs> when that happens, What's going to happen? What's going to happen when the world is retransformed? What happens is what's called defragmentation. That all of a sudden we see an unbelievable achdus. we see an incredible unit unification, harmonization of reality into one idea. You see, one of the interesting things about science, what's the chiddush of science really? Mm. You know, what's what's happening in science is beyond belief. Every day. 7,500 articles are published every single day. It's enormous, we can't even, we cannot even c- comprehend that type of expansion of knowledge. You know, that's why you walk into an electronics store one day, you come back a year later, half the store's gone, it's something else. Why is it? How did science do it really? The answer is the tzura, not the choimer. <coughs> science deals with the physical universe, but what they've learned is that there's no such thing as a million different phenomenon. No such thing. It's all united, related. So what they try to do is to reduce, reduction. They will reduce three, five events into one. Or they'll try to find a law that explains 15 different phenomenon, phenomena. That's what they do. What is that called? That's the understanding that there's an achtos in on a physical level. It's called the Derech hayichud. So they've discovered the surah of information. Their choimer is Elam but they've discovered the concept of achtos in, in, in reality. We have yet to discover that, really. We believe in it, but we don't see it, because our learning is all fragments. We do a very poor job of combining everything. What the Mashiach does, okay, <coughs> fundamentally is he will be bria. He will reverse the entire fragmentation into one. So what he does is he reveals the underlying uh, framework behind the physical universe. And behind that, of course, which is ultimately the spiritual universe, that's what Kabbalah is. It's a study of another reality, and it's interfaced with this. And then behind that is the that's what the Mashiach does. So the Mashiach will ex- enormously, almost infinitely expand our understanding of reality. But what the second, that's the chaymer that's the, of the information. But what he really will do is the tzura. He will ultimately unite the physical universe together with the spiritual, together with the Rav And then you see this unbelievable concept of what reality is. It comes out that the Derech HaTar is really the Derech really HaMoshiach. I hate to say it, Put it that way, and so, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, well, hey, wait a minute, you know. But it's really messianic. That's really what it is. So you're to learn what? The 50th game, mm-hmm. not any more information, it's just No, I didn't all. say that. No, it is. <coughs> Remember, information is two, there's two, <coughs> two uh, dimensions of information. What is its surah, and what is its choymer, you see. So but what choymer science has, no? what? we have. We have it all. It's in the... Uh, so I mean Torah, I'm, I'm Torah the way we know it. That's we don't important. have the chayma. We don't have the. We. I we, mean Mishnah is Gemara. All the Kabbalah. All the uh, that's chayma. Yes, yes, we have that chayma. That's true, but that chayma is surface. There's an infinite amount of more information besides that chayma. Okay, so it's true they have science, which is a study of the physical universe, right? That's odem hazeh we have Oidam Habo that's true. But we have it on a surface level, you see. Tremendous surface. And I once brought the Medrash, there's a Medrash Rabo, incredible Medrash Rabo, at the end of Kohelas. If you want to look at it, it's a Medrash at the end of Kohelas. The Medrash says that the entire Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, it's a lot of stuff, is Hevel compared to the Torah of Mashiach. Let's understand what that means. En- what? <laughs> <Chutzpah>. <laughs> I mean, you know, this would be a if it wasn't a medrash. You know what I'm saying? It says, the entire Torah of What's the entire Torah? Right? You don't want Bavri all the showing them, right? You don't want all the and Shu's from. You don't want hundreds of thousands of manuscripts <coughs> and swan, written and published <coughs> over the thousands of years. And this is Hevel. What's Hevel? Hevel is Luft, nothing. It doesn't even have a mamash. No, Connected be nice the all of the Mashiach, the idea we have now is hevel. It's not more knowledge, more yiddia. It's just understanding what we have on a deeper level makes the old hevel because a child understanding compared to a much bigger <coughs> understanding is, is the surface understanding is, is, is hevel compared but to. the, the to, but the yeah, but that deeper level is unknown to us. True, but it's it unknown. Mean that it's more, now, more, like more, more, it doesn't mean that it's more material. Of course it means it's more just material. just re-explaining everything on, on a nimshal level or on a deeper level. You know, if a guy comes down with a cold, right? Comes down with a cold, and he has certain symptoms. So, that's knowledge at a certain <coughs> level, right? But then if you talk to a doctor, he said, what do you mean, cold? You're looking at the symptom. Below that symptom, there's an entire mechanism of the human body that goes awry, right? And then what causes that, right? When you talk about... Pathogens, that causes them, that's a whole different level and information. You, you know what I'm saying? It's enormous amount of more information. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't believe how much, how much books go away on just pathology. You forget about the other branches of medicine, you know? Mm-hmm. So what the Mashiach reveals, and that's why I want to bring out what the significance of that Hak Dhamma is that we're talking <coughs> about an author that is espousing Derecha that's really what it is. That you want to learn that what the Mashiach will do is two things, choyma and Surah He will reveal the choyma, and we have choyma, but we only have a, a, a surface of the choyma, Right? But he's going more but in a certain sense, he's gonna reveal the actus of all this information. How it all emanates from the Reburn Shlom. We don't have no inkling of how all that. Look, if I can you can you connect Zeroim to Taurus? Who's gonna connect the Zeroyim to Taurus? Right? Can you connect uh, what he called Kachim to, uh, to uh, you know, to the Zikin? No. You don't see the connection here. There's 613 different mitzvahs, basically. Yeah, you can categorize some of them. You can't connect them conceptually. What's the but the truth is they are connected at a much deeper level. But we have to get down there to see the connection. Right now, we don't. What's the relationship between these two areas of Mashiach will teach us, the Chema and the because he's going to bring new claimer that will enable us to understand. He will tura expand tura, almost have. infinitely the amount of chaymer, even though we have the Torah. Right? <clears throat> and he's going to reconfigure the whole thing until mind boggling surah. With the new claimer he's able to reconfigure the tura. Well, that's, tura. that's what he's going to reconfigure. He can add to the tura. as well. <laughs> It goes, are you, it's also the two separate things. Or it's because of the chaima which allows what the Torah to be given. Is there a cause and effect? Yeah. Because of, well, because of the new allows, uh, he'll start from Torah. I mean, it has to start from Torah. No, no, no. Getting the chaima because of the new. Wait. No. 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 no, no. There are two different types of being. There's what's called a substantial being and an accidental being. We need to become philosophers. Well, actually, just roundness in a ball. What type of a being is that? I look at a ball and it's round. What, what type of a being is that? Roundness doesn't exist by itself. Did anybody ever, did anybody ever see roundness? No. It doesn't, it, it, right? It's a type of being that needs to adhere into another being. That, in philosophy, okay, is called an accidental being. That's what it's called. It's an, it's, I mean, it's not an accident, you know. It's called an accident, it's called a mikre. There's an Etzim and a Midna. If You look at the Rambam and his forum, you look at philosophy and so on and so but you know? Surah is an accident in Choymeh. Not the other way? Yeah. That's the other way. Huh? Roundness is an accidental oh, okay. being, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Without Choymeh, there's no such thing as roundness. Without a substance, you can't have roundness without a substance, so it's called an accidental being. It is a being that is completely dependent on the existence of something else. And if you remove the etzem, roundness disappears, right? That's called a substantial being and an accidental being. To configure information as an achdus is what? Is an accidental being. Because what is configured? The information. If you took away the information, there goes the achdus, right? So what the Mashiach does, it's all about information. But the incredible revolution is that the information is no longer presented as a fragment. You see, where do you see this? <coughs> we need him a call for this, right? Well, we just passed B'zoyis Habrocha, right? Well, by the way, who's the one that does this? Mashiach, yes? Which Mashiach? Ben Yosef or Ben David? Ben David. Ben Yosef. Yep, he's the guy, not Ben David. What did Ben Yosef, Ben David? A lot of differences. Right? But one of the ideas of Ben Yosef is that he softens paneach, He's a revealer of hidden things. What does that mean? He's the one who expands the information and reconfigures it. Where do you see this? Well, take a look at Vezoy Sabrocha. Right? Vezoy Sabrocha. Actually, if you really want to understand this, go back into Vayera V'yivoke Yom Echod. Why does it say Echod? What does Rashi say? you remember what Rashi says? <coughs> should say Yom Rishon, right? There are two types of numbers. There's an ordinal number, first, second, third, fourth, and there's a cardinal number, one, two, three, four. So Rashi says, wait a minute, every day it says Yom Sheni and so on, right? That's called what? Second, third is an ordinal number. A cardinal number doesn't say. But on the first day it says Yom Echod, one day. One is a cardinal number. Why does the, why does the third switch? So Rashi answers because on the first day there was only there was just the Bereshit, Malachim weren't created until the second day. So it's truly the day of one, the day of one being named the Bereshit. Rashi says that, but if you think about it, you can really say something more, right? Another pshat. What is that? That Yemechod really means this. Of course, it was only the Bereshit, but if anybody had been on that first day, right? What would he have seen? Right? He would have seen an infinite variety of choimer, of creation, because everything was created on the first day. It didn't pop out until the rest, but it was there. So what would he have seen? He would have seen almost an infinite variety of things, because the Baal created. But it doesn't make a difference. Even though there's an infinite variety of things, it was the, Yom Echod, the day of one, because at that time, there was no veil. You immediately saw how everything emanates from the Baal So in the end, it's really one. It's true there are many expressions, but there's only one thing called God. That's why it's called Yom Echad, the day of the one. Because even though there were an infinite amount of things, when you looked at it, without the veil, you saw one thing, God, and how everything emanates. That's why it says Yom Echad. Okay? Now, then it says, Vayer vahivokeh Yom Echad, right? Vayar al-kim ki toiv what was that? The ability to see where everything emanates from one thing, which is the absolute greatest structure of all, is called the All Mashiach. That's really what it was. That's the Oragamas, the Rishon. What is the Rishon? The Rishon is nothing more. Shouldn't say nothing more, but it's the, the ability to see all reality as one expression. It's an unbelievable unity. And that's Orishim. Right, it's an Or, right? What is Or? We know that's the Or agonist. That Or is the Or Mashiach, you see. Okay, when does that Or come? When? So this was the first person in the Torah. Right, <coughs> basically. For that you have to look at the end of the Torah. In Vezo Brocha. Meshra is benching, Klai Yisrael. Then he talks about Yosef, right? He talks about, he gives a bracha to Yosef, the Shevet Yosef. What's his bracha? So his bracha basically is, the firstborn of his ax, the ax is Yosef. The firstborn of his ax, majesty or beauty is his, right? The Kani Ra'im, Kanov. and the horns of a Ra'im. a Raim is a mythical animal, that existed then, right? And the horns of this ox is not the horns of a normal ox. It's rather the horns of a re'em. It's the horns of another animal. You see what, in a minute what that means. And with these horns, he will go the nations. That's, that's really, what you immediately look at it and you see, well, that's a metaphor or an allegory. What, what, what is the metaphor of this? It's what? It's What's the giloi of this? Of course, because you talk about Yosef uh, and but how do we interpret the metaphor? So, this is the interpretation. Bukho Shor is Yosef. Who is the Bukho? Sheikh bin Yosef. So, Bukho the first poem in his acts, which is Mashheikh bin Yosef, Haduloy, beauty is his. That means Mashheikh bin Yosef is stunning in his beauty. How? So then the apostle continues. The Kani Re'em The horns of the rain is the horns of Mishik bin Yosef. Now, of course, the one who made that mistake classically, of course, was, what's his name? Uh, he, 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 uh, Michelangelo. Michelangelo on the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. <laughs> he, put, um, he gave, because, by Moshe Benzies, <laughs> he <laughs> So, of course, being an incredible Amoritz. You put down, Karen or probably had horns. That's where the fact like, that Jews have horns comes from. But anyway, of course, it does mean that. It means Karen means a beam of light. But anyway. So here's the passage. It says, Behold, Yeah, take some back here. Behold, Shoyroy, Hodoloy. The firstborn of his acts Sheikh and Yosef. Hodoloi. Beauty is his. What beauty? You know? So then it says, I will tell you the beauty kind re- of the horns of this ox is not the horns of a normal ox you ever see the horns of a bull incredible massive shoulders but the horns of the bull is not long it's short and stout you ever look at the horns of a bull you know you ever see the horns of an antelope? it is incredible or the horns of some goat, it's like, just the symmetry is magnificent, you know? But the horns of a bull, an ox, isn't that the way at all. It's short, stout, and it's incredibly powerful because it's fueled by the shoulders of that ox. Very powerful. So the Pesach says that the horns of this ox isn't the horns of an ox, it's the horns of Rain, which has these magnificent horns. You ever see the way the horns twist and turn? It's just incredible. Sometimes, you know, if you go to a zoo. You know, the Bronx Zoo once had this hall where they had all kinds of antelope heads. You just stare at the antelope. It's like, what is this? It's magnificent. You know, you look at the kirk of the Bronx the brunchman, You know, and all it is, is a bunch of cells that are excited at the at the at the uh, skull of an animal, and those cells can actually produce this. You know, it's incredible. But anyway. So, the Pusik says that the horns of this Ra'im is the horns of that ox. What's the horns of Ra'im? Magnificent. Beauty. Okay? <coughs> so, the, the Pusik is saying that the horns of the mashiach bin Yosef is magnificent. That's ultimately what it's saying. So, we ask ourselves wait a minute. Mashaykh bin Yosef doesn't have horns. So, what does it mean that it's beautiful? <coughs> so, now we have to go into its, I don't know, it's called a metaphor and allegory. But anyway. What are the horns used for? Weapons. Where do they emanate from? The head. So what the Pasuk says is that the Mashiach ben Yosef, <coughs> his weapons emanate from his head. What emanates from the head? Besides hair, for those who are lucky to have it, what emanates from the head? Information. chokma, <laughs> idea. So what the Pasuk is saying is that the weapons of the Mashiach ben Yosef is unbelievable chokma. <laughs> that emanates from his head. And these, this chokhmah is his weapons, you see? So the horns is an allegory, a metaphor, right? That <coughs> refers to what? Information. Chokhmah, right? Because horns emanate from the head and they are weapons. The information of the Mashiach bin Yosef is what? It emanates from his head if it's information. And it's incredibly magnificent to watch. So the question is, what does that mean? That the knowledge of Mashiach bin Yosef Is incredible beauty and this Ubehem, and with this information, his Chokhmo, Amame Nagach. He's going to go to the nations. That's how he's going to do it. He's going to present an understanding of reality that is just incredible to look at. But what's the overall understanding of that is beauty. What is beauty? What does it mean? Who can tell me what beauty really is? Clark. Clark Kyle. Clarity is a consequence. Harmony. It's not the thing. Although, you're pretty close. Structure. Clarity is a consequence. What is it? What? Structure. Structure. You ever see, what is beauty really? Beauty, if you had to give it a definition, (coughs) beauty, right, is the harmonious blending of many different fragments as one unit. That's what beauty is. Take a look at, for instance, beauty in, let's say, music. You know, you look, if you think about Beethoven's symphony, you know, Beethoven's is incredible, his, 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 his symphony, right? All it is, is a bunch of notes. All it is is a bunch of sound frequencies. You know, it's just a bunch of sound frequencies, but wow, what an arrangement. It's the arrangement that's beyond belief, you know? But really all it is is a bunch of sound frequencies, you see? But what an arrangement. That's called beauty where Beethoven was able to take, let's say, 10,000 frequencies or notes and combine them in such a way to reconfigure them in such an incredible tsura that you can listen to Beethoven all day long. It's so incredibly pleasurable. It's one blending of so many different things. Take a painting. You know, you look at a painting. No paintings around here. You know, what is it? It's a blending of what? It's a blending of shade, perspective, color, right? Texture. There's so many things that go into a magnificent painting that's beautiful. Like Rembrandt. What he did is he combined many different elements into one thing, and you can look at that thing all day long. That's beauty. What's beauty in Chochmah? So we have beauty in art. We have beauty in music, right? Beauty in dress, fashion. Is the ability to, you know, put together a color-coordinated, you know, where everything is wow. You know, the person walks in with a suit, the color, the tie, everything matches. That's beautiful. <clears throat> What's beauty in Chochmah? It's beauty in people. There's beauty in people, yes, where a person has characteristics that, be- that blend into a, uh, it's almost like a perfection and so on. But the concept of beauty is always a blend of what's called fragmented or disparate parts. That's what beauty is. What's beauty in chachmar? And this is the secret. That's why it's Hodalloi. Beautiful. It's beautiful to look at the Mashiach when horns. But what I'm really saying, it is beautiful to look at the Mashiach's Chachmah. What's beautiful about it? It's structure. It is so unbelievably elegant, and science has a word for it, it's called elegance. In fact, science is, 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 uh, holds that one of the greatest tests that something is true is that it's elegant. That's how they're so convinced that all nature, what they call nature and reality, is elegant. The word elegant means it's beautiful, it's bright. I mean, there are certain people that have come up with formulas that are just magnificent. You know, Einstein is one of them. Comes up with a formula called the E equals MC square, which is the most famous formula in existence, Right that combine what is energy and what is mass. They're really the same thing. In fact, mass is, for energy is really, matter is really frozen energy. Without getting into all that, unbelievable elegance, what that man did. Another guy is James Clerk Maxwell, I think it was George <clears> actually. <throat> he combined all frequencies of light, that they're all the same. It's just the differences in frequency, radio waves, x-rays, you know, light waves, it's all the same. The only difference between them is that they are different frequencies. It's one of the greatest, uh, what he called, reductions ever known in science, is Maxwell's four equations. So um, That's beauty in Chochmah. Meshach comes along and says, you know, you guys are holding a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. You know, you guys refuse to look at the box. I'm going to put it together for you. And what he does is he shows that all reality that we know, which is the physical universe... And he combines them in a beautiful tapestry with a spiritual universe, which is really what Kabbalah is all about. And he combines that, how they all emanate from the achtis of the Barashalom. And all you're looking at is a totality <coughs> of information that is beyond belief. That's what he does. That's the Om Mashiach. And that's why the Torah of Moshe Abenu fundamentally is fragmented. That's how we all each form different, deal different ideas. It's fragmented. When the Mashiach does, and that's what the organaz is, he takes all of it and combines it. You it's it incredible tapestry. In fact, the best mashal I can give you: Did you ever see an embroidery? You take, a, you walk around the embroidery, and you take a look at the back. All kinds of. You ever <laughs> see there? There's like a thousand threads <coughs> sticking out. So you know, a guy. Imagine a guy tells you, "I just made this beautiful." Embroidery, which is where. So what do you do? Take the embroidery and show them the back of it. You know, he says, "What? This is what you made? Come on, no, no, no. Wait." And then he turns it around. And he says, "Incredible! Whatever he drew, what a picture!" And so on. That's the Mashiach. It's the flip side. We live in an embroidery, right? We're we're looking at the back. Shiach shows us the front. It's probably the best analogy you can give, and so on. And that's why the Rambam has Akdoma. His Hakdama is Messianic. <coughs> it's really what it is. It's very interesting. And therefore he said, I'm going to present Hashkafer <coughs> in that light. And that's the Chokmah in its premius of the Hakdama of the Rabkha. So when you learn the Hakdama of the Rabkha, which I hope everybody will take a look at, you'll be looking at what the tzur of the Yidnashiach will be all about. Interesting. Anyway you think that okay. all the scientific advancements in knowledge and preparation for, for the Yishef and Yosef will at least have the pieces to put together? Say that again? you think that all the scientific advancements is in terms of the Ulus olam, that they'll be also ready to put together all the pieces they'll at least have the pieces? What you mentioned is a very important soya. The Zoya says that the Om begins to come down in the year 5000 which is the English year of 1240. 1240, which is a long time ago, right? That was the year 5000. So the Zoya says that the Orm Mashiach, the Parshish Vayera, begins to come down then. Which is, huh? What are you talking about? 1240? The Orm Mashiach is come down? Yes. What does the Zoya mean? First of all, why 1240? Because 1240, which is the year 5000, right, is the beginning of Friday, right? We have, right, the world will be the last 6,000 years. Why six? Because you have six days of creation, right? 5,000, that means five days have passed, which is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Thursday night at 6 p.m. is the beginning of Friday. That's the year 5,000. <coughs> and since Friday is the of Shabbos, the Reborn Shem begins to be making the Vriah, to understand the Om Mashiach. That's what happens. That's what the Zoya is referring to. Fine. So therefore, what the Zoya is saying, is that the O mashiach the Hachonah, begins, how many years ago was that, 2240? It's a long time ago, it's more than 800 years, well, it's actually 5,773. 773 years ago, right? That's when it began. Is this true? That's the question. Where do you see the historical evidence of this? Anybody know? Where's the historical evidence for this? I mean, it's nice to have a Zoya, and the Zoya says, something very interesting, right? That the Old Mashiach begins to come at 1240, which is the beginning of Friday, right? But we have to ask, mm-hmm. first of all, we, we now know what the Old Mashiach is, so we really were ahead of the game, by the way. Because first I we have to understand what it is. But we have an inkling of what it is. It's surah and chun, <coughs> which is enormously expanded, almost infinitely, right? So the question is, is this historically true? And the answer is, Yes, and I will show you. It's historically true. What the Russian did is he brought down that ore. The Shefa came down, which means that it it actually influences the mind of man to begin to think that way. The interesting thing about that is once the Shefa came down, it came down for Jews and for Goyim, because that's the Shefa. How did it come down for Goyim? What is the O <coughs> really? What's called the O in the Klippa? What is it? What is the O really? What it really is, is science. It sounds astounding. Science is nothing more, it takes the reality of the physical universe, and it studies it. But when it studies it, it does two incredible things. It goes to the depths of that area, if you're into biology, then you're into DNA, you're into micropathogens and so on. If you're into physics, right, <coughs> you're into what? Energy. You're into the atom and so on, the energy. What, what, what the O-Mushik is always looks, always looks at the pneumias, from which it then extends everything else. And then it gives an overlay of the tsura of this incredible actors. Science began in 1240. Are you aware of that? Until then, science, or the study of the physical world, was dominated by Aristotle. And Aristotle is an armchair philosopher. You know, he used to think. He never did experiments. You know, the, the, the famous case of disproving Aristotle was Galileo. When Aristotle says, you know, if you have two objects, heavy and light, who's gonna fall faster? They're heavy. Well, so along comes Galileo, <coughs> 16th century, goes up to the top with Pisa, Right? Famous, right? Leaning Tower of Pisa. By the way, and I was in the Leaning Tower of Pisa, by the way, and it really leans. It's scary to go up there, you know? You know? it's. Uh, but today they don't let you up anymore because it's leaning too far. <laughs> you know? But anyway, so he dropped two things. One was light and heavy. And guess what? They came down at the same time. <laughs> Poof! No more Aristotle. And so on. So Aristotle held up science for, 12, um, for uh, almost 2,000 years. Right? Along comes a guy, his name is Roger Bacon, and Roger Bacon initiates the scientific method. Broke away from Aristotle, and he said, "What is this business of thinking? We got to get into experiment. <laughs> this no thinking here, you know." So Roger Bacon is credited with beginning the scientific method, and he lived right around 1240. mamish when he lived. It's astounding, what an accuracy. Okay, now, so the Ol Mashiach or the ability to see things reconfigured as a tsura of achdos, already begins in the Gosh world. In the, it's not so much Gosh in the sense that it's the reality, but it's an amazing thing, that they themselves, Goyim themselves, could never have begun science unless the O would come down. <coughs> it, it, they need the Orm just like we. So what, 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 what was the impetus, or the Chodr <coughs> of Demach Shova was the Omashiach. and therefore science began. And it then began by leaps and bounds, right? But wait a minute, it wasn't only them who got it. Who else? One of our guys got it. Who is the one who's Mishana, the tzur of Bavli? Who was that? Rashi. Who? Rashi. No. Raman. The Rambam. The Rambam. What the Rambam did was astounding. And that's one of his Ridifas. The first one to change the tzur of the Bavli. Until then, everybody learned Bavli. They did learned Kamara, you know? Along comes the Riff and he was, they had murdered Radifus. Uh, most people don't know that the Riff had murdered Radifus. They were right of him, even though he lived to almost a hundred years old. Why? Because how dare you cut out, abbreviate the Bavli. That's what he did. He wrote a Pirish that he cut out a lot, you know. He edited the Bavli and they went crazy. So they were right of the Riff, but at least the Riff remained with the Bavli, the basic, you know, he just, he just abbreviated, he edited the Bavli. Along comes the Rambam, and he just changed the whole tzura. He has got rid of all the sugyas, and he just put the maskonos of all shas. You know, which is unbelievable. When did the Rambam live? What did the Rambam do? He didn't change the choimer. It's the maskonos of shas. What he changed was what? The tzura. He moves maache the tzura of the Babli. Instead of what the Babli says, right? Ashir im echod, anim b'mokam acher that in one place, you know, that Gemara is like what? You'll find a lot of the sugi in one place, and some of the sugi is somewhere in the uh, Shabbos, you know, which presents a tremendous difficulty for us because everything is spread all over the place. That's the essence of fragmentation. Along comes the Rambam and puts it in one place, and he organizes it, right, from simple to more complex. He changed the Tzur of the Babli. That was terrible. That's why they're one of the reasons why they were right of the, the Rambam. And you think he was the last guy, he wasn't the last guy. You know who else they were right of? They means Klein Israel. The powers. The Rabbonim. the Rabbonim. yeah. You know who else are they were right of? You know, we would never believe this today because to us, they're icons. To the, in those days, it's Apocrypha. You know, in fact, they burnt the Rambam. And they woke up when they realized that in Paris they were burning the Bavli. So they said, "Shemaim is, is Kitruden. how do you burn the Rambam? So the Irish was they were burning the Bavli. Whatever, I ain't got a history of that. But, so they were right with the riff. They were right of the Rambam. And you know who else was right with? Ram Who? Ram-Khal, Ram-Khal. Yeah, well, Hezek was right, yeah. Was doing the righteous. Yeah, but they you know what else out. Out? What? They chased him out. Yeah, but you, you, you know what was up to Rambam. Ram Ram Shrek this is incredible. But I, one, it's like, you, know, you ever hear the old American statement, he who laughs last, laughs, laughs best. All the people who are right after Ramchal, hardly anybody ever heard of them. Ramchal is known throughout the entire Jewish world. So in the end he laughs. You know, you guys were right me. You guys want to extinguish my name and my flame. Guess what? None of you guys, people never heard of anymore. For instance, when was the last time you heard of nellenberg in Frankfurt? What was that? <laughs> My point exactly. <laughs> he was it the one, one that was rated for Amchal. When before? was the last time you guys it heard of it's Moshe Chagiz, the, the Viennese, the Viennese rabbonim. Rab- yeah, anybody it's here heard of Moshe, Moshe Shag- Chagiz? Shag- yeah, because it's a Rechoy <laughs> of right? That's how, that's the only way you know it is a <laughs> I mean, I Yeah, because <laughs> oh, he loves <laughs> Rechoy of Chaggis. You guys never heard of Moshe Chagiz? He's one of the main guys who wrote of the Rambam, uh, excuse me, Ramchal. So, in that sense, you know, Ramchal laughs last. Okay, whatever, you know. But you know who they are right of to? The Beis Yosef. They are right of the Beis Yosef. The Beis Yosef to us is like what? It's like Moshua Abeno, the Shulchan Aruch, right? They were right of, why? Because how dare you take out the Pesach of the Ibavli and write and, and it to Akitsa? What is this? We, we don't even understand this. I mean, today, the Beis Yosef, without the Beis Yosef, where are we? We're lost. You know, this is incredible. But anyway, so what I'm telling you now is in 1240, science had its beginning with Roger Bacon. They changed the tzur of Chokhmah, the physical reality. And the second is the Judaism had its renaissance. Wow. With the Rambam. That's what the Zoya says, you see. And then, of course, from once it started, it began to go more and more and so on, you know. The Rambam had both What? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, what? Wasn't and the Zoya, yeah, that's another thing. That the Zoya was discovered, even the Zoya itself was discovered in 1290, 91, 92, by Moshe Leon, whatever, and so on. So that, so not only was the Tzura of Yiddishkeit, of Spharm, that began to change, right? But the premise of the Torah was also discovered. That's the Zoya. The Zoya is the fundamental text or Kabul and so on, right? So look what happened in 1240 or just around that, right? So the Raza is right. That is the beginning of the Or And once it comes down, what's happening? It comes down by leaps and bounds. And that's what you see. That the Torah is... What's going on today, I don't know if you realize that, but there's incredible phenomenon going on today. That you know, all of a sudden, everybody woke up and is trying to re-edit the Bavri. You know, you have Masifta. You ever know what's going like? on? You have Art Scroll, right? Art Scroll created that revolution. Then you have Masifta, where now everything is in one volume, and now there's Pirushim on the Torah. It's unbelievable. Today you don't have to be a Rashiva and know anything. You just open up a Masifta. You know what I'm saying? Everything is there. You can take, make all the shroom you want mm-hmm. just from that, right? What is that? Why all of a sudden is Torah becoming more and more accessible? And the answer is, because that's the old Mashiach, that's the Shefa, that's making Torah more and more clear, easier to learn, you see. Anyway, there's a mo- lot more to speak, but I'm just showing you all this from the Hagdoma of the Ramchal, of what really is going on, that all of this is really part of that Shefa, and the Derecha of the Mashiach is really the, what he called the, uh, the Tzura and the Choyma, and, and, and the Medrash comes out with it beautifully, where it says, that the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, all of it, is Hevel. It's not even a Mamash compared to the Torah of Mashiach. And Mashiach is a person that will live in Ulim Hazeh. We're not talking here about Ulim Habor. We're talking about the last of Ulim Hazeh. That's when he <coughs> lived. Could you imagine that he's going to produce a Chokhmah that nobody could believe? Like it says in the Novi, you know, you El know, Maim, you know, that Kimol Oritz the Sashem. The, the, the world will have will have unbelievable knowledge of God. Unbelievable. We can't even comprehend how much they know and how far away from the Sheikh anyway, really, you know? It's hard to believe uh, that this world is gonna go from a world of fundamental ignorance to a world with such a saturation of knowledge in its totality overnight. It's hard to believe that. But you know how you can believe that? Because take a how do you how do we know Whatever the Banshek does, he always allows you, he always gives you an example first. Always does that. How, do we, how can we understand that the Omashiach is going to proliferate at an astounding rate overnight? <coughs> how many days do we have left anyway to the end? You know how you know that? Because take a look at the parallel of the old Where is the parallel I said? Science. Uh, science. Okay. So in 1240, I had Roger Bacon, Right? Then in 1500 or whatever, you had Francis Bacon, who expanded on the scientific information. And then in, 15, then in 17, 1670, whatever, along comes, not the father of science, but the father of modern science, Newton. Newton revolutionized science. He revolutionized physics, right around <coughs> then, okay? Why? Because 1740 is 5,500. What's 5,500? 5, is Friday morning, 6 a.m., the beginning of the last day of creation. So right before that, the world changes. Along comes a guy like Newton, and there were many other discoveries made that changed the entire world, okay? This is part of the Orm in science. But wait a minute. Between 1240 and Newton, science progressed very slowly. Maybe there was one discovery every 100 years. Maybe. That's called an arithmetic growth. It's like one plus one. From Newton, okay, until 1950 or let's say 1840 or whatever, let's say say, say 1900, science began to experience not an arithmetic growth, let's say two plus two, but a geometric growth, two times two. Because what has been discovered since 1890 and today is beyond belief. They have no idea what the world was in 1890, and everybody thought they knew everything by then. It's a joke. Now, between 1890 and 2012, the world is not going 2 plus 2, which is arithmetic. It's not going two times two, which is geometric. It is going two to the power of two, which is exponential. The growth today is exponential. We cannot believe what's happening. Like I told you, every year, every day, 5,700 journal articles are published. Every day throughout the world. At that rate, the sum total of human knowledge will double every five and a half years. You know what that means? If you take a look at the Library of Congress, they have approximately 80 million things in that building, the Library of Congress. 80 million, can you imagine that? But by the way, you can take, I think they have 20 or 30 million volumes, you know, you could take all that and put it into a closet of hard drives. Yeah, you take all of that, photograph it, and you can have one closet filled with, you know, 10 and a half terabytes, three terabytes, whatever. You could put the whole Library of Congress in a whole series of disks. It's beyond belief. But imagine every five and a half years, the Library of Congress doubles. We can't. We cannot massive what is going on today. Why? Because, so we see that there's a geometric uh, uh, progression of of Chokhmah. It's beyond belief in science. And they they themselves don't understand what's going on. They can't believe the rate of information is staggering. And listen, 9 out of every 10 scientists who ever lived, live today. They live today. Okay? That shows you where science is at, you know? The difference between a guy who lived in 1840 and a guy who lived in 12, uh, 1840 BC and a guy who lived in 1840 CE is minuscule. They had different clothing and all that. That's about it. But maybe like a guy who lived in 12, 1840 CE, which is 1840, to today, it's beyond belief. It's, it's not just it's just so you take a guy who lived in 1840 and you, you, you put him in a time machine right and then you walk him down Manhattan somewhere right he'll die of a heart attack he you know you know remember only a couple of years ago people used to talk to themselves in the street you thought they were crazy you know you do the figure you do mechesed, you look up a psychiatrist for them right today they're all talking on their cell phones I mean like you know you know you're no more insane you're just with it in technology it's today it's like you can't believe, right? This is all the old Mashiach coming down in incredible rapidity, right? And the Tzur is incredible. Oh, wait. So, right? And that, that, like I said, the information, the explosion of information is beyond belief. What is this, really? And when did it really pick up? From 1990. The internet, even from 1990 till now, it's been beyond belief, right? Why 1990? Because 1990 is 5,750, right? Which is Chatzois is Friday, and is Friday means the sun begins to set, never to rise again. It's the last six hours. So therefore, Friday, which is Erev Shabbos, when you really begin to prepare for Shabbos, right? Erev That's why you have the geometric, exponential explosion of information. Because what's fueling all of this is the O Mashiach, that Shefa of the Or That is the Hachana, what the Banshem is doing. He's preparing the world, for such an unbelievable Hachonah that when Mashiach comes, right, and begins to introduce the whole concept of primus and also Tzura structure that people won't just drop dead in the streets. That's the... We're looking, but we don't realize it's really the Hachana. You predicted the nineteen ninety before it happened? What was that? You predicted the nineteen ninety would be a change? Yeah, I did. I have lived on that, yeah. But anyway, it's just beyond what belief. What? what? Anybody, who knew, anybody who knew... New 1990s, the explosion. And you know what happened in 1990? It's not just the internet and all science and all that from 1990, you know? What are we looking at? Right? We're looking at, uh, you know, the, the, what do you call it, the uh, fall of communism. Right? We're looking at the Berlin Wall. We're looking at all of this. Right? It's all since the whole political landscape of the world is completely different. And that's also the beginning of the Koyk of the Era of Rav, which is a whole in itself. It's also the beginning of Ishmael. Right? 1890 September was the beginning of the Intifada. Uh, that's when the Koich of the began to rise enormously. Uh, anyway, that's that's a whole Shir in itself and, and so on. But I'm just trying to point out in terms of the the Hachonah of the Omer Shiach is happening now. The problem is it's really happening by the Goyim. It's happening by the world, less so by the Yiddin. So the question is, wait a minute, don't we get something too? And I mean whatever happened to the Jews? It's not true. What? It's not true. Why is it not true? Hmm? Who knows what the hachonah is? From the the time the the Second World War ended, where everyone believed that orthodoxy was finished, through, right? It would never come back, right? Baruch Hashem, we are the largest group in the Jewish community. Yes. And it grows and grows and grows extremely quickly. However, that's not what I'm talking about. You're talking about the existence of the Ah, but it's also what's happening. No, there's a lot of The amount of learning, the amount of yeshivas, the amount of... The question is the chokmah, not existence. I'm talking about the... The all Mashiach is chokmah. So I pointed out that the hachana for that is what's happening in science. But even in Yiddishkeit, there's also hachana, although it's much less so. That's the problem. Who's the classic individual who lived right at the turn of the century. In many ways, that represents the beginning of the tremendous depth of analysis. Rab Chaim, exactly. In fact, Rab Chaim is Judaism's answer to Einstein. Yeah, physics had Einstein, where is Rab Chaim? Rab Chaim in many ways changed the analytical approach, you know, of how to learn and so on. That's really so different. We also have the beginning of that uh, approach, the whole concept of analysis and so on. You know, so it's much less, and that's because, because when it happens to Yiddishkeit, they're really looking at the gullah and so on. But I'm just saying that that there is a hakhanah going on. What's happening is this, and I'll really end with this. You know, there are five things in golas, by the way, five things that go into golas. Each one has to arise out of the golas. Okay, one, the is in golas. You know that. Shkinta is one, right? That's in Golas. The second thing is that the Torah is in Golos. You have to understand what that means. Third thing is, Klai is in Golas. That's number three. We are in Golos, right? Number four, Eretz is in Golas, right? And number five, which is really sort of like part of the Torah, the Hebrew language, Russian Kurdish, is also in Golis, okay? The reason why they were all in Golas is because they're an achtos. It's called an identi- identicality. They're really all the same. Like it says, Kut Shebrichu, Klang Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, Chadhu. Chadhu is an identicality, which means that if one goes in the Golas, all four, guess what? They're coming out of Golas. Each one. But the last ones, the greatest ones, are the slowest to come out. Loshna HaKodesh is emerging from Golas. Where do you see that? Hebrew. Hebrew is a spoken language. It's the only language that was dead for 2,000 years that is now spoken. It's now a major language. You know, you can even get it on, uh, there are all courses in Hebrew and so on, you know. Hebrew is not really much like Kodesh. It's, you know, it's the beginning of that, you know. Yeah, forget about the pronunciation and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But, it, for, you know, there's 7 million people speaking in Hebrew. How many people speak Hebrew and so on? You know. Anyway, Hebrew is one, right? Eretz Yisrael is, I mean, this is only partial, not total. Eretz Yisrael is out of Golis, you now live in Eretz Yisrael. It's partial because, you know, whatever, obviously it's not fully total, but it is emerging out of Golis. Klay'in is emerging out of Golis, right? Because all the nations that persecute them, they have to give them up. They can't hold them anymore. Jews can now come back from Russia freely, right? They've come out of Iraq, they've come out of the Middle East, Jews can more or less travel where they want to travel. So the ability of Edom or Yishmuel to hold the Jews is eroding rapidly. Right? So that's coming out of Goas. Right? Torah is coming out of Goas. How? Anybody know? How is Torah coming out of Goas? Slowly. It's available in all languages. It's available in all languages. That's number one. You mentioned the art scroll, right? Yes. I hate to give an advertisement for art scroll, but, oh, but it's not a bad idea. I want to something. Think about that. Nothing can happen unless the Brainsham is masking. For thousands of years, the Torah is in the Kippur, which is in Gullus. Part of that is that the Gomorrah itself is written like a notebook. That, there are several reasons why the Gomorrah is so difficult to learn. One is that every third word is missing, so to speak. It's a notebook. It doesn't have a full composition. It's not a full essay or whatever, you know. <coughs> That's one of the reasons. Second thing is Gemara doesn't have any background information, really. We're not getting into all, but when, when these things begin to change, that means that the zero, that makes terror so difficult, is changing. It's easier. <coughs> That's why all of a sudden in the last 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, whatever, all of a sudden things are happening, you know. Translations in languages, but Art School, what Art School did is it revolutionized learning. In fact, if it wasn't for Art School, we wouldn't have a daf really. Very few people learned daf before Art School. But today, you ever notice most people who learn daf have an Art School? Why? Because you can learn a block in a day and it's reasonable because it's all translated. But it's not only that it's in English, Art School provides the background information. It removes the fact that the Gemara is a notebook because it inserts not only the missing expressions, but actually puts in what the debate element is going to be. Well, Rav is now going to ask on a buyer. It actually tells you what's about to happen, you know? That's, that means that the Klepo is being minimized. That can only come if the zero of the goals of Torah is slowly beginning to end. So art scroll, Mesifta, where instead of being is now all in one place. Just open up the back. What all this means, and that most people don't realize that, is that the Xera, which is that term is in the Golas or the Klippa, it's a synonymous with the Golas, right, is beginning to end. Therefore, the Roshim is now allowing, even better, he's now allowing in the sense he's giving Haskama and he's giving de shmaya, which is even more important for people who are engaged in trying to clarify Gemara, whatever. Svarim or whatever, he's giving them Hatzlacha. Really Why? Because the Xerah is beginning to end. That's the interesting, that's really the significance of Art scroll, Or all Masifta, or Shas Vilna, you know, or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Different translations and so on. And not only that, it's not just published. What about the, the Shimon tape? Any guy can dial into Torah tapes, or he can get CDs of the whole Shas. And you can get it in three languages, English, Yiddish, and Hebrew. The whole shots. When did that ever, ever happen? It's unheard of. It is possible. It's possible for a guy to sit down by himself and go through those shots without a rebbe. It's possible. All he needs is a good shear, and there are many good she'em around. Why? Why now? And the answer is because we are by we are by chatzos, and the xera is that once chatsoyis happens, then it's the beginning of the end of the klipper of the Gollos. And that's Chatzois, 1990, 5,750. So in every which way, in published, in this forum, and everything, things are happening which makes learning much easier today, whether it be by telephone, iPad, whatever. You know, a guy today can become an incredible Talmud Chochem, because it's now all available, and so on, on the internet, whatever they got, and so on, you know. What does all, all this mean, and why now? And the answer is Chatzois, that's why now, right? And remember what it says. What's the famous pasuk? It's Zechariah. Vahoyol li'ais erev or. That's what it says. When does erev begin? When does bino abayim begin? It begins by doesn't it? And that's what's happening. Around 1990, the or is beginning because the erev is beginning. Bino abayim, you see, and therefore that changes the like zero. and therefore even the Torah is coming out of the Klippo, out of the Golas. The last thing to come out of the Golas, of course, is the Shechina. That takes a while and so on. But that also will happen. And once that happens, of course, then you talk about the entry of the Mashiach. So why is someone stealing this in the Kiddusha? The ensuing this in what? In, in, in the Kiddusha, to the internet and this kind of if, if the order is so big, why is someone ensuing this more than any other generation before? You know why? When evil is about to die, what does it do? It's going to try to drag you with it. When a star blows, dies, becomes a nova. A nova is so power- A nova is a star that dies, but in its death throw, it explodes. The amount of light that a, d- a nova throws out is greater than the galaxy that it's in. Think about that. One star will outshine its galaxy, and the galaxy is one hundred. Billion stars, and this one star will outshine it and then die. You know, before evil dies, what does it do? It explodes, which means it's going to grab all its kurchas, it consolidates all its ketrugam. that's really what it is, all its energies, all its kabbalah, its nitsuitse kedusha. Whatever kedusha has left, whatever kurchas has left, right, it's going to consolidate it, and a massive attempt to drag us down. Massive. And the problem is the, the great Nisoyan in today's generation, in many ways, it looks like it's taiva, which it is, but it's much more immuno. In the end of time, the real Nisoyan clients faces is the imuna. Real Imuno. Because we look around and everything is a contradiction. Everything. You know? How, why is it evil people succeed all the time? And so on. You know, the UN or why is it Sheker, Evil, Taiva, Gaiva. Well, how come these things are at the top of everything? You know, what's happening here? And the answer is, this is the last death throes of the Satan. And that's why it's so difficult today. Today we are in a matzah, if you want to realize that, we are in an incredibly accelerated um, rate to end the end the ulm hazir. So what the Boshma has done? What do you think the Holocaust? There are many reasons for the Holocaust. One of them was to accelerate the coming of the Mashiach, which means payback. What the Boshma did is, in one generation, he put all the Hashemis that needed that balance the books, to get rid of all the tra- the against them and all the Chayvis, the uh, and so on. He took all of them, all the Yidden. And he married them in a certain sense to the shamas of people who were alive. So, in one shot, in five or six years, the amount of yisurin that the yidden experienced was probably equal to a thousand years. Why? That's one of the important concepts of the uh, the uh, of the Holocaust. There are others, but this is one of them, right? The the Holocaust was one of the greatest accelerations events known. And what that tells you is the Moshe wants to end it now. What the Holocaust did is it provided enough Yisurin that normally would have taken place for well, a thousand years. He did it in six. Why? To balance the books. That's what he did. That's one of the important significance of the Holocaust that most people do not realize. That's why it was so horrifying because it had to balance by accelerating the Yisurin in such a fiendish way. 1,000 years worth of Yisur, one shot. What that did is it allowed clients enormously to walk away. It's like, You're going to get 39 Marcus, and then you're okay. That's one of the important ideas of the Holocaust. It was an acceleration process. There's also other things that it did, that it produced incredible Choshech, very difficult in the moon and so on. The Holocaust had a number of objectives, which it all accomplished. But in the end, the bottom line is, let's get rid of this ilam hazeh now. I want to bring in the not 300 years from now. I want to do it now. Now means 30, 40 years. That's why you had a Holocaust, that that event. And because of that, Torah is coming out of the clipper. That's why we have Eretz Israel right after the Holocaust. That's why Torah is coming out of the clipper, and so on and so forth. What what allowed this to happen is all the ketrugim against Klai Israel were were uh, answered. They were cancelled. That's what the Holocaust was. Hashem doesn't do this to Klai Israel for nothing. There's a profound reason why this happened. You know, he out the eshem right? It says, "Behold, I am going to redeem you." The second guru will be like the first. Why right? we say that in kedusha? That's a murdic soy. What that tells you is that the Ge'ul Asida will be just like the Gulu HaRishayinah, Moshe Rabbeinu, the Mitzrayim. In fact, if you study correctly the concept of Mitzrayim and the Yiddin, you can actually figure out many things about the Mashiach, who he is, what he is, how he comes, and so on. But one of the things that you see is very interesting, right? What we see is that, what was the last year when Moshe Rabbeinu came? It got worse. Why? Because the B'nishma had to accelerate the process. Kleinsville did not deserve to go out. That was a murder kitra, where the sudden said, you guys don't deserve to go out. So Bershev said, wait. What he did is he subjected the Jews to an unbelievable amount of his surah. That's why the last year that Moshe HaVenu came, not only did they have to make bricks, they had to gather the straw. It was Shreklach. It was terrible. It, 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 the surah of the last year of the Yidden probably equaled a but it had to happen. In fact Moshe Rabbeinu did not understand that. We know that. Because he came running back to the Boshim and he said, Loma Hari why did you, why did you do evil? Wow. You know, yeah, like I'm sure the Bosham Kavioka was taken aback, so to speak, you know. You can't do that when you go. So the Bosham said, okay, he was Nanesh. Atatira. now you will see, but you won't see what will happen there and so on. But later on, Oz Yoshe Moshe, uh, Oz Yoshi Mosha sang, you know, on the Oz that is Ume Oz that you sent me. So that Oz Yoshe was a kapor for the Oz <coughs> that he denied the Hajjgokh of the Moshe. And he understood the reason why they're standing at house Sinai is because it is soon of that last year. Well. If it says, he If it says that the second guru will be like the first, so what does that tell you? It's exact same things will happen. There will be an ultimate acceleration process. That's what it tells you. It tells you many other things too, but that's one of them. What is the acceleration process that is the equivalent of the last year of Mitzrayim? Holocaust. It's really what it is. Look, it's, it's there. You just have to read it correctly. That's all. In any case, so here this is where we're at. Later. What? I said here we are 60 years later. That happened one year. Which? The last year of Moshe was there. Now your analogy is that you're referring to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's okay. One, this there are different, yeah, okay. There are different time differences, and but... Counting. Yeah, but you have to say that there's a difference Moshe. between Moishua Abbeinu and now. There's a lot more things that have to... The problem is how the Jews do the Tikkun. And because the Jews do the Tikkun through Chayobin, because of... Uh, 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 so therefore they bring it to soon and that takes longer you know Moshe Rabbeinu was different it was uh, whatever uh, but in any case the main idea is that uh, we are involved in the last phase which is the accelerated process and so on therefore as a result of that the old Mashiach is coming down in incredible rapidity Khatsois, what's going on today and uh, Torah is coming out of the klipa slowly you know and that's what we're waiting for You know, basically that's it. Anyway, we now have our understanding of what the Ramchal is really doing with the Hagdama, why did it, why it's so important to start with that in our Hashkafer Sefer, which is really very interesting and so on. Because that's what he's really telling you, that the upshot, of the whole Sefer ultimately is to get back into the Hagdama. to winter that way, structure. Next week, 9.30, here. We continue. Herr Präsident,